0: Let's open our Bibles this morning once again to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 1 through 8 where we left off last week in our study. We began to consider the requirements for having the privilege of sitting with Jesus in his throne to rule with him as a joint equal heir and as the Lamb's wife, his eternal partner to rule and reign with him. In eternity. And we're using the Apostle Paul's own life and the summary of his life, the summary that he gives here in 2 Timothy 4 1 through 8, as a summary of the requirements to receive the crown of righteousness that he speaks of in this passage, which is another term for that same exalted place in eternity, God's best in eternity. All of God's people who've accepted Jesus as their Savior, they have eternal life, they have a home in heaven that is forever secure based on the merit of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, who paid the price in full for your sin. We know that that is what the Bible teaches, that's what the Apostle Paul teaches. But we also understand that the Apostle Paul also presented the truth that we can be rewarded for faithfulness in this life. And we know from experience, we know from the Word of God, we know from observing God's people over the years, that not all Christians live a life of godliness, live a life of faithfulness to the will and the way of the Lord. We know that to be true. As we see those differences in this life, the Bible teaches us that those differences will also be seen in eternity that there are different degrees of glory, different places in eternity to the closeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God's grace offers, the same grace that saved you is the same grace that offers every one of His children the same opportunity to have His best in eternity. And so we want to see, well, what's, what's required for that? And as far as motives, there's only one. We'll see how This motive, which we know to be love for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not competition. It's not trying to get rich. It's not trying to, well, I I want that place of power and authority because I want power and authority. The only motive that will be rewarded this highest place in glory is to love the Lord Jesus Christ because he first loved you. But to say that you love Jesus just to say the words is not enough love will produce what is required for us to attain to this highest place in glory and so let's read once again second timothy chapter 4 and verses 1 through 8 i charge you therefore before god and the lord jesus christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom preach the word be ready in season and out of season convince rebuke exhort with all long suffering and teaching Pretty direct orders that he gives to Timothy, who he was preparing to basically take his place and to carry on this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and be turned aside to fable. So he's talking about the apostasy that was going to enter in into the church. He's not talking about the world here. He's talking about among Christians, that they very quickly were going to be characterized by turning away from the very sound doctrines, the essential doctrines that we've been studying over these past months. Many of those that consider themselves Christian and fall in under that banner of Christianity, or at least uh, Christendom, they've abandoned many of these fundamental truths, and they've kind of picked and choose which ones they they want. And in place of that, when you abandon truth, there's going to be a void there. You've got to fill it with something. What are you going to fill it with? Fables, men's opinions that actually contradict the revelation of truth. So Paul warns us that that was coming. That's why he says, preach the word. That's our responsibility. That's our mission. That's our message to the world, and to the church. Verse 5, he says, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. God had revealed to him he was about to be executed. He was going to be martyred for simply preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew that. And as he Look back, we see that the Holy Spirit gave him this assurance in verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, not just a robe of righteousness, which every child of God has, but the crown of righteousness, that pinnacle of all that the righteousness of Christ afforded for us. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have what? Loved his appearing. So there's that foundation motive for doing the things that God would have us to do. All who love his appearing. So these three things that Paul mentions sums up his life. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. This, these are the requirements for winning Christ. As we read in Philippians in our last lesson, Paul talked about winning Christ. To know Him is a, a deeper fellowship that God is calling us into with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this crown that it's offered to us, it's offered to everyone, all who love His appearing. So not just for apostles, not just for pastors, not just for old people. It's for all who love the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to love His appearing is to to love Him in His ways, all that He's done for you and all that He has provided for you. So let's look at these. And as we have time, I'm not going to rush through these. So if we take another lesson, we'll take another lesson. But Paul says, i fought the good fight. What does that mean? How do we fight this fight that we will know as the good fight of faith? The very terminology that that Paul uses here talks about a struggle with an adversary. And that adversary, you know, these terms and words that Paul used in the Greek and that we use in English, they're common to us. We know what a fight is. We know what an adversary is, and it can be as simple as a as a athletic wrestling match, you have a adversary that you are up against, and you have to fight them. It has to do with a struggle trying to to gain victory over that one, or it could be something even as serious as a soldier where the stakes are much higher than than an athletic wrestling match. A soldier has an adversary that he has to fight against, and so When we talk about fighting the good fight, that Paul fought the good fight and the crown of righteousness was laid up for him, it meant that he understood he had an adversary and that he had a struggle and that he needed to be victorious in that struggle. And for us to be victorious in this struggle with Satan, who wants to keep us from doing the will of God, bringing glory to the the one who died for us. There are things that will help us be victorious in this struggle, in this fight, to fight to fight it well. It's a good fight, and we need to fight it well. And there are things that will hinder us from doing that, just like in a wrestling match. So the, let's look at some of those things that an athlete and even a soldier, if they're going to be victorious in their fight, whatever it is, in the natural, there are things that they have to do. To gain the victory. And they represent things in the spiritual realm, in our spiritual fight as well. The first thing is that of obedience. So such a simple understanding. When you think of a a wrestler or an athlete in any sport, they have to be willing to follow the instructions of their coach if they're going to be victorious. We've all seen over the years, maybe some of us have been associated from time to time, and in our younger years at least, of athletes that think they know it all. Don't tell me what to do. And they do have natural gifts, athletic gifts, that's true. But if they don't learn to follow the instructions, they're not going to be successful in whatever sport that they're they're in. And how much more true is that of a soldier? One of the principal characteristics of a good soldier is they obey the orders of their superiors. If we're going to succeed... In this good fight of faith, if we're going to be victorious and when it's all said and done and and the fight is over and we receive the crown of righteousness, if that's going to be our experience, we need to pay attention to James chapter one, verse 22, James chapter one, verse 22. We know that we're saved by grace apart from works and many that believe that and understand that to be true do not like to talk about obedience. They don't like to talk about good works, but we're talking about winning Christ. We're no longer talking about justification. That's by faith and faith alone. But because we've been born again, because we live by faith, we obey the loving instructions of our general, of our Lord. James 1.22, "'But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves.'" It does no good for you just to read the Bible or even to quote the Bible or to memorize the Bible. That has no value to you, not now and not in eternity. But hearing the word and letting it transform your life, your thoughts, your words, how you speak, how you react in every situation, obey his instruction. Let's jump down to verse 25 of James 1. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So if you want God's blessing in life, it only comes from trusting and obeying. Trust and obey. Trust that his ways are the right ways. That when you read an instruction in the word of God, even if it doesn't make sense to you and, and that doesn't It doesn't make sense to give thanks for all things. It doesn't make sense to rejoice when you find yourself in various trials. That makes no sense at all. But when you simply obey the instruction, you'll find that God's ways are the best ways. And they lead to victory in this life and in eternity. They lead to peace and joy, protection, provision, the blessing of God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, we need to carry out. If we're going to fight the good fight, like Paul did, we have to obey the loving instructions of our Heavenly Father. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12, but you, O oh man of God, flee these things, it's a command, the things that he refers to, Paul had talked about earlier, the, basically the lust of the flesh, Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. We have to do both of these things. There are some Christians that try to flee the lust of the flesh. In other words, try try not to do the bad things. But they don't go on to pursue the right things. And then they wonder why their life is characterized by carnality and failure, sorrow, and disappointment. We have to do both things. Flee the things that would keep us from being victorious and pursue the things that are going to prepare us for the fight. Verse 12 says, "...fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life." You have eternal life if you've accepted Jesus. Now lay hold of it. Take advantage of all of the privileges and the benefits that you have because you are saved. Not in order to be saved, but because you are saved lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It's impossible for us to be successful in this fight if we don't simply obey the instructions of the word of God for every area of our life to flee the things that hinder us and to pursue the things that equip us and prepare us. Another characteristic of one who is going to be victorious in their their fight, especially a soldier, is that of alertness, to be aware of what's going on around you. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5. Again, the phrase, fight the fight, it indicates we have an adversary who wants to be victorious over us. And so we need to know our adversary. We need to be alert. A soldier is always a good soldier, a faithful soldier, is one who's always alert, especially when they're on guard duty. we have heard different examples over the years about the, someone that were, a soldier that was supposed to be on guard duty and fell asleep. And the enemy slipped in and did his damage. How often has that happened among God's people? Damage has been done to and among God's people because we weren't watching. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1 But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon you, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light." and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, because that's true, because you're a child of God, because you've been given a revelation of God's plan and purpose, therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Most of God's people are asleep. The enemy... (coughs) sneaks into their life. The enemy has snuck into the church as a whole because truth has been abandoned by many. Thank God not, not everybody. God will always have a remnant. I want to be a part of that remnant of faithful believers. And he has them all over the world. I thank God for that. But we have to be realistic. As as a whole, we see that much of God's people are asleep. Many of them have not even heard of the doctrine of the literal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many are being taught today just to look to God to supply everything you want in life. That's what a lot of God's people are hearing, only that. But the Bible teaches us this life is a preparation for eternity. It matters how you live. God's promised to provide what you need in this life, but he's preparing us for eternity. Are we aware that the enemy wants to rob us? Are we aware of how he, he works the things that he tempts us with to draw us away, and not all of them are just sinful things. Oh, we know the big ones, oh, you know, temptation to adultery and addiction and drugs. Yeah, we know all of that. But, you know, he has a lot of tricks to try to deceive us. Watching a documentary just yesterday about World War II and, and how on, on D-Day, how there was a lot of deception on the Allies' part in order to, to win the victory over the enemy. Well, our adversary also has a lot of deceitful tricks. He can use a lot of good, moral, healthy things to draw you away from serving the Lord faithfully. Sometimes it can be family. Family is a blessing from God. But Satan can even use family to draw you away. Or business or hobbies or or whatever to draw you away from doing what God's asked you to do. To read your Bible. To assemble yourself together. To to look for opportunities, seek the Lord for opportunities to minister to others. But if if we get so distracted with everything else in our life, the enemy has deceived us. We've fallen asleep. Another characteristic of a good soldier is being prepared, properly equipped. If a soldier doesn't have the tools and the weapons and the training that he needs, he's not going to be successful. But our general has provided everything we need. Let's go to Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. If you're going to be victorious in this fight, if you're not going to become a victim of our adversary, we must do what we read here in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I'm glad it says that rather than grit your teeth and try to do the best you can, Doug. No, my power, my ability... To do the will of God, it comes from him and him alone. But I have to recognize that and then yield to it. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, the Apostle Paul was very familiar with the Roman soldier. Very often he was chained to their side. He knew what a Roman soldier was and what a Roman soldier needed. And so you can picture this that as Paul was writing this down. He was possibly looking at a Roman soldier in all of his armor, and he saw the spiritual lesson there for us. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood like a natural soldier, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Our battle is a spiritual one. And make no mistake, when we talk about spiritual things, we're not talking about things that are not real. Often we we think of that. The world often thinks, well, this is the real world and that's spiritual. The spiritual world is far more real and eternal than the things that you can see with your natural eye. We have a real enemy that wants to keep us from doing the will of God. Know that. He uses human instruments. And we need to remember when those human instruments are the ones that are coming against us, fighting us, don't get, don't get mad at them. They're just a tool of Satan to try to rob you of your joy and your peace. But because you know that our battle is real and that it's spiritual, verse 13 says, therefore, because you know that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Paul was looking at the Roman soldier, and they often had a wide leather belt that they wore. And because in that day they they wore, and in, in that climate, they wore long flowing robes, usually. But when you're fighting or working, you don't want those robes in your way. So you wore a girdle, a belt around to bring everything into place so it wouldn't hinder you in the battle. And plus, that belt was used for the soldier to hang his sword on and his tools. And so when Paul was looking at that, he says, we spiritually need to have our waste, our spiritual waste girded with the truth of God's word. What is that? How does that? translate for us in our practical the truth of God's word will put everything in its place even the things that aren't necessarily sinful wasn't sinful for them to wear the kind of clothes that they wore they may not be sinful in and of themselves but it'll put everything in place I love my family I love my extended family but the truth of God's word lets me know the order of that I love God and his word and his way first and foremost family comes after that it puts it in place It tells me how to love my family. It tells me how to appreciate my family. The truth of God's word does all of that. When I gird myself, I let it rein in all the things, my desires, my passions that would otherwise just get in the way of doing the will of God. That's what it means to gird your waist with truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covers the heart. And in that day, they, they... referred to the emotions of man in the intestines. And so that breastplate protected both those tender areas. We need to have our very emotions protected by what is right in the sight of God. It's not how I feel about things. It's not how I feel about people. It's what God says is right. That's how I put on the breastplate of righteousness. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, how you walk, how you talk, knowing I'm saved, knowing that I'm a child of God, knowing that I represent the Lord Jesus Christ in, in my life, that's going to protect my walk. One of the reasons that the Roman soldiers were so successful in their, their campaigns was because they were provided solid sandals, shoes to walk with, They could march for days. That wasn't true of everybody in that day. Have your feet shot. Walk properly. Protect it with this truth, knowing that you're saved. Verse 16, above all, taking on the shield of faith with which you are able to quench how many? All fiery darts of the wicked one. We can always be victorious in this fight. We never have to lose a single battle to temptation. But no, your enemy is going to shoot darts at you and they are fiery. And that day, the Roman shield was usually covered with, with a, a leather covering so that when those arrows that were literally on fire were shot, they would be put out as they hit the shield to extinguish the fire. And it protected them. Now, when an arrow comes at you at such, such great distance, distance and velocity, it's going to have a punch. The shield will protect you from any real damage, but it may knock you down. We know that Satan comes against us. We know he likes to knock us down emotionally and sometimes physically. We know that. But when we trust God with that shield of faith, I believe what God says, that all things work together for my good, that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. The intent of Satan with those fiery darts will will not have their intended purpose. You'll be victorious. It's a battle, but you can quench all the fiery darts with that shield of faith. Verse 17, and take on the helmet of salvation. Have your mind protected by knowing what Christ died to give you, who you are in Christ because he saved you. Satan will often come, and especially when you have fallen short and not been the kind of Christian that that God wants you to be and that you truly want to be, but you, you failed. What's Satan going to do? He's going to come along and say, see, God doesn't want you. You're just a failure. You'll never be what you need to be. Why don't you just quit? Satan never have, I don't want to see any hands, but Satan never tempt you that way. You're just a big failure. Why do you even keep trying? If you put on the helmet of salvation, if you, if you know what God says about your salvation, you're going to know that no matter how miserably you may fail, God still loves you. And his grace allows you to acknowledge when you've fallen and to get up and get to back, get back on the path of righteousness, and he'll give you the strength you need to continue on. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. The sword is not only a defensive weapon, but also on the offense. We can gain victories over Satan and what he wants to do if we will just believe God. Do what he wants us to do. Preach the Word, live the Word, obey God's Word. It will gain victories, not only in your life, but in the lives of those around you, if you just do what God's asked you to do. Praying always. Verse 18. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. It's a long battle. It's all your life. We need patience, we need endurance. We need the strength of calling upon the Lord for every situation and every day. And Paul says, if the apostle Paul needed it, which he says here in verse 19, and for me, pray for me, he says, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. All the things that Paul could have prayed for, sitting in prison, He could have said, and and maybe did in other occasions, but the Holy Spirit has preserved this for us as his primary petition. He could have said, pray for me that I get out of jail. And that would have been perfectly fine and understandable. Pray for me that they'll quit beating me up and throwing stones at me. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that petition. But he says, pray for me that I'll speak boldly, that I'll say what God wants me to say, that I'll live the way he wants me to live this is how we should pray for one another pray for all of the other specific petitions that's why we take time to take those petitions he tells us to cast those cares upon him and so please don't misunderstand me i'm not belittling those but all of those are subcategories to our main petition for ourselves and for one another lord help me to be a good soldier to fight the good fight to fight the good fight of faith lastly to be a good soldier even to be a good athlete, it involves a little bit of suffering. Another word we don't like to listen to, obedience and suffering. Come on, Brother Doug. I'm just telling you what the Bible tells us are the requirements if you truly love Jesus enough to want to sit with him in his throne. Second Timothy 2.3. We'll have to go through these quickly. Second Timothy two, three. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Those of you that have been in the military... I have a young man that is going through the military process right now, training, just got through boot camp and is going to combat training, and he's already been warned that the combat training is going to be tough. To be a good soldier, it's going to involve suffering, not only in the training and the preparation, but when you get into the battle, there are sacrifices that have to be made, and only those that have gone through that, we just come through Veterans Day, only those that have gone through that could possibly understand that Mental, emotional and and physical suffering that's involved in our battle. It is just as real to be willing to suffer for doing the will of God. Second Timothy chapter three, verses ten through twelve. When it is your desire to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ in this christ rejecting world, guess what? they're not going to love you. This world is our society our our very nation, and certainly all around the world. Humanity is getting further and further from their creator, rejecting his authority, rejecting his very existence. And if you stand up and say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who reconciled me to my creator, I live and breathe because of him, the world's going to hate you and there's going to be suffering. Satan will hate you and he'll try to dissuade you from being faithful. It's not always fun and easy to be identified with Christ whom the world crucified. 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 12. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's, it's a reality. It's a promise. If you want to live for Jesus, you're going to suffer. And that's one of the requirements for fighting the good fight and being successful, victorious, and receiving the crown of righteousness. In Philippians three ten and 11, we read last week, I'll read it quickly, but in Philippians 3 and verses 10 and 11, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul desired to be identified with the sufferings of Christ because he knew that the sufferings of this present time, they weren't worthy to be compared with the glory. When it's all said and done, we know who is going to stand victorious, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and we're going to be identified with him. And because I know the end, I want to be identified with him right now even if that means suffering in this Christ-rejecting world. In Romans 8, verses 16 and 17, we are the children of God. In verse 17, it says, Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So once again, there is that requirement of suffering. That was Romans 8, verses 16 and 17. Well, let's close this morning with... 2 Timothy 2. Of all the requirements, this one of suffering seems to be mentioned the most often. And Paul knew what it was to suffer for Christ to the point of giving up his life. Are you willing to suffer shame and reproach? Are you willing to let people laugh at you and mock you and call you naive and stupid for believing the Bible? Are you willing to experience any attack from the enemy that he wants to use to dissuade you from serving the lord knowing that in that trial the enemy has a purpose but knowing that if god allows it he has a purpose that will override the enemies satan for as astute as he is sometimes i wonder if he just doesn't see the big picture he is often an unwitting instrument of god to bless his people I don't know whether he knows that or doesn't care or what, but it brings me great peace knowing that my father is over all. My life is in God's hands, not Satan's. God protects me. The almighty God is my father. That's my peace. That's my joy, even in the midst of suffering. And the promise we have here in 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13 is this. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, If we died with Christ in identifying with Him as our Savior, we shall also live with Him eternally. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us, not of eternal life, because we already read that and we'll read verse 13 here in a minute, but deny us that place, that crown of righteousness, that closeness to Christ in eternity. If we are faithless, He remains faithful He cannot deny himself. When you accepted Jesus as your Savior, you were given the very divine nature of God. He'll never deny that. He'll never deny his children. Even the most disobedient and carnal of his children, Christ died for them. God will never forsake them. But this place, this exalted place in glory is reserved for those that are willing to fight the fight. Know we have an adversary. Know we need to train. Know we need to be equipped and prepared and alert. May the Lord help us. We'll continue to to look at the other two summaries of Paul's life and see how they apply to us, Lord willing, in our next lessons. Let's stand and we'll sing a song in closing.